influential leaders. It's Lenka and Alex here with another super fun episode of the Influential Executive Podcast. And today we interviewed an expert in communication, a communication coach and theorist, Dr. Nate Morgan. We had a power hour. It was full with tips and valuable information. And you know, with earn more work less, we give superpowers to your teams. Now, how would that be if every single team member would know tips on how to communicate in a better way so that your days are nicer, more fun, and each team member is more charismatic? Well, I would say yes to that. And in this episode, you will learn not only about how to become more charismatic, authentic, how to have a better and more effective meetings, but also how to tell an effective story. Yeah, Nick Morgan, he, he gave a lot of very practical tips. So if I look here in my notes, we spoke about so many cool things about how he analyzed Clinton and Trump. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Uh, for CNN on, uh, on national television, the whole debate process and how they applied unique communication skills, plus some very surprising results that came from there. We spoke about how to communicate with millennials, how to be more charismatic, how to be a better storyteller. Should we use more or less emoticons? And much, much more we talked about. So have a nice drive in your car, have a nice workout, have a nice train ride, whatever it is doing while you're listening to this podcast. Maybe you want to take some notes, good ideas, and I'm sure you're going to finish this episode with one or two resolutions of things that you can apply immediately in the next meeting that you will have today. So enjoy this episode with Dr. Nick Morgan. So Dr. Nick Morgan, welcome on the Influential Executive Podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for making some time to uh, speak with us and also to uh, educate our audience, ambitious team leaders inside large organizations about what they can do to get better results with less effort. That's what we're all after. You speak a lot about communication and your latest book, Can You Hear Me? focuses a lot on virtual communication. So what people can do in these virtual meetings like you and we are having right now. So from a communication standpoint, how do you think we're doing thus far? <laughs> uh, good body language, lots of enthusiasm. We're doing fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so th there's more and more virtual meetings going on. And just this morning, I got off the phone with the HR manager of DHL in Belgium, which is a whole other country. And still, you know, it's so easy to communicate. And even though we can see and hear each other, it's still different. It's like a whole new game. Now, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see happening in these virtual calls? The biggest mistake really is that we're like generals fighting the last war. So there's a saying that when a general gets ready to fight a new battle, they fight the last war in their minds. Uh, and we're still communicating as if we were communicating face to face. One of the working assumptions is something we never think about, but it's how we act when we communicate face to face is that we assume that our body language is going to convey 
an enormous amount of information about our emotional state and our ability to read your emotional state, the other person's or the other people's emotional state. And what humans really care about is intent. We care about what is my intent toward you and what is your intent toward me. That's our fundamental question. And it comes obviously from ancient survival um, reasons and motivations, fight or flight. Um, we want to know whether the person we're meeting is friend or foe. Uh, that's our first and most important question. Uh, and, and so we humans care about intent. And we assume that when we communicate virtually, that it's just like communicating face to face. And, and, and so we assume our intent is coming through. And we assume we're getting your intent. And in fact, we're not. And at least not as clearly. And, and the, the, the easiest example to think about in this case is email. Um, we've all had the experience of sending an email and having the other person misunderstand how that email went. Um, and we can't figure out why. I mean, we thought it was a really clever joke. And for some reason, they were terribly insulted by that clever witticism that we offered. And, and there's a reason for that, which is that evolution favors the negative interpretation. So think about our ancestors wandering through the jungle or the savanna. Um, the, the ones that assumed that there was a tiger lurking around the next corner and therefore were in a hyper alert state, those are the ones that probably survived. And, and so we've evolved to become humans who assume the worst. When we don't have good information, we assume the worst. And so when we get that email that says, great, one word, we assume that's sarcastic or meant with a harsh intent. Now, it might not be, but that's our assumption because in an evolutionary sense, it favors us to be anxious, to be worried, to assume a negative interpretation. So that's the biggest problem with, uh, with virtual communication is that in all forms of it, we don't get as good information about the intent of the other people and we tend to assume, we tend to assume the worst. And so misunderstandings easily arise. So what would you recommend in these cases? Because I, I can relate to it so much and whether it's WhatsApp or any other application I'm sending messages through, I always struggle. Either I am way too long or I am way too short. So <laughs> are there any basic principles that I could apply while thinking about the message I'm about to send? Yeah, the first and most important question is to ask yourself, how is what I'm saying going to make the other person feel? And if you don't know the answer to that, you should ask. So send the email or send the text message or the WhatsApp message and then say, how did that make you feel? Um, and the, the nice thing about that is not only you might find out how the other person felt, which is good, um, rather than assuming the worst, uh, but you also offer them the respect of saying, I care about how you feel and I'm, I'm going to give you some time and space to tell me. Um, and so it's that, it's that uh, bit of respect that is a particularly nice feature of doing that. But then the other thing you can do is work hard just to make your intent clear so that misunderstandings don't, uh, don't uh, come up. Um, 
And so I recommend, for example, using emojis all the time, lots of emojis. Cool. Um, they save a lot of time. Um, I just did an op-ed piece for the Wall Street Journal on this in the United States. And um, it's split along generational lines. Everybody who was under 100 years old said, yeah, emojis are great, let's do them. And then everybody who was over 100 um, years old, I'm exaggerating, everybody who was over 100 years old said, no, emojis are silly, they're childish. So uh, I, think, I think as time goes on, more and more of us will use emojis and get comfortable with them. And it's just a way of putting the intent back in. So you put a smiley face in to show that even though your message is short and could possibly be construed as terse or, or tense or hostile, uh, you don't mean it that way. I really do like this because I remember from corporates, their like number one rule is no emojis, like ever, like don't use them. So I'm happy that you brought it up because indeed I am unable to see the person's facial expression and body language. Now, talking about body language, obviously I've read um, about your story, you have a very inspiring and impressive story because you dedicated your life to something that became quite a challenge when you were 17 years old. So when I ask you about your personal story, how would that story sound? Well, I was, uh, as you allude to, I was uh, 17 and I was tobogganing um, uh, one winter that uh, after Christmas, after the Christmas holidays, and I crashed into a tree and fractured my skull and I was in a coma for about a week. Uh, and, and in fact, I actually technically died for 15 minutes during that week. I flatlined, like in the movies where the, your, uh, your vital signs suddenly go flat. Um, and everybody came running just like in the movies and shocked me back to life. So I survived. But when I woke up, uh, I couldn't read body language in the way that everybody normally does. So... This is particularly difficult if you're 17 years old, because when you're 17, you and all your friends never say anything unless it's sarcastic or ironic. <laughs> everything, is a, everything is a joke at age 17. And so when I went back to school <laughs> and I was, uh, I was very pale, I'd been in a hospital for weeks, um, I had this terrible scar running down the side of my head, I had a bandage on, I looked, I looked like... Uh, well, death warmed over, as we say. And a friend of mine said, Nick, you look great. And I said, thank you. Because <laughs> I suddenly couldn't read irony. Um, and he said, no, no, you look terrible. What's the matter with you? Why can't you get the obvious sarcasm? And so that began my process of first realizing that I had lost this ability and then slowly working to get it back again. It took me, the whole process took me about a year. There was obviously some healing that went on and then a lot of training and, and uh, work so to learn how, how to read body language. Wow. So how does that process look? Like it is for me so difficult or challenging to imagine how, how does that feel and how does then the training goes? Because I can imagine that understanding the process will help many people to understand how can we understand body language of other people in a better way. Yeah, your understanding of body language, uh, as you're indicating, is unconscious. Your unconscious mind takes care of that. And that's a good thing because your unconscious mind operates at a much faster speed and a much higher, 
let's say, bandwidth than your conscious mind. Your conscious mind relative to your unconscious mind is fairly small and slow. Now, of course, it's the only one we're aware of, so we think our conscious minds are pretty great, but the unconscious mind is the one that gets the job done. Um, it keeps your heart beating so you don't have to think about it. It keeps you breathing even when you're asleep. It, it does all kinds of routine tasks like that that are essential for life. Um, and you wouldn't want your conscious mind with all its uh, ability to get distracted and whatnot doing those things because you'd forget to breathe, right? So uh, one of the things that the unconscious mind then does is is it reads other people's body language. Um, and, the, and the reason again for that is not only is it more efficient, but it's much faster at doing that. And so we, we actually get people's intent from their body language before they're aware of it themselves consciously. And so you can see uh, somebody make a decision in their body. We literally embody our emotions. And so, for example, your husband and wife, uh, you probably know what the other person is thinking or has decided or how they're reacting before they're even aware of it or have a chance to say themselves. All the time, you know, then, like she, out of the blue, she asks me, what are you afraid of? I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. I, I saw you look in this weird way, and I saw I know there was a thought in your mind, and <laughs> it's like, right. like you 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 give away what you're thinking about without even noticing it. It happens in a split second, and this one she is so <laughs> sharp, like nothing, <laughs> nothing slips by her attention. <laughs> yeah, so we embody our emotions, our intent, our decisions before we're consciously aware of them. Now it's only a, a split second or two, but. Uh, but that's typically how that works. And so what I had to do was start studying people's body language and try to, and then I asked them, it was a very slow and painful process. And my friends got very irritated with me because I would say, so you didn't mean that? What did you mean? How could I tell you didn't mean that? And, and they thought I was a, a complete idiot, of course. And and until they understood and, and actually they were nicer than that, they did help me out a lot, but um, it was a very strange process of sort of retraining my brain to become first consciously aware of how to read body language and then to put it back into the unconscious mind where it belongs. What I love about this story is that you took something that it, it didn't work properly for you and you needed to retrain but then you continue to build on that for the decades to come. You didn't just close the gap to a point where it was good enough and move forward. You made, you turned this weakness at age 17 into a major strength because now I saw, for example, that you were invited by CNN to comment on the body language of the presidential candidates. So that's a pretty cool thing to do. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious because then I, I, I see you in the CNN studio with some photos of, I think it was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump at the time. Yeah, it was the debate, but I, d I did also the, the Republican and Democratic uh, debates, but that particular one was focusing on the, the final presidential debates, yes, between Clinton and, and uh, Trump. If you would rate each of them on a scale of one to ten, in terms of the effectiveness of their body language communication. Where are they, in your opinion? Well, um, 
I mean, in a sense, the, <coughs> excuse me, the voters decided, uh, and, and let's not get into a debate about that because of course, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but because of the way our system works, uh, President Trump got enough of the uh, electoral college votes that he was he was made president. So we could debate that one endlessly. But um, the the main difference was Trump brought something new to the political debates. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't have the normal political the normal politicians caution. Um, a normal politician acted very much like Hillary did, in that you ask you get asked a difficult question. And you try to provide a reasonable answer and you smile and you nod and you try to look like a reasonable human being when you do that. Um, and in fact, um, I analyzed her facial expressions and there are four positive unconscious facial expressions, nodding, smiling, opening your eyes wide, raising your eyebrows. And she did all four of those, not all at once, but at various times throughout the whole debate. So she was trying very hard to make a positive impression and to connect with her audience. Now, President Trump, on the other hand, did exactly the opposite. And I've never seen a politician do this. In fact, had he asked me, he didn't, but had he asked me beforehand, I would have said, no, don't do this. It's disastrous. What he did was he focused entirely on anger and all his body language was expressed, expressive for 90 minutes of anger. And you wouldn't think that that would work uh, because normally we don't uh, like to connect with angry people. We, we generally stay away from angry people, especially people who are as strongly and unremittingly angry as that. Um, he had the four negative facial gestures, which are indicative of anger that are the opposite of the positive ones I just mentioned. So he narrowed his eyes, he lowered his eyebrows, he frowned and he shook his head and he, kept all those things going for 90 minutes. It was an extraordinary performance. And I would have said it would have, uh, it would have been the end of his career. But what happened was apparently there were enough of the electorate who were just as angry as he was, and they connected with that anger. Wow. Uh, and so to them, President Trump looked sincere. He looked like he, he uh, was being honest in his anger. And he was at least, I have no idea whether he was being honest or not, but he was at least consistent in his anger. He was consistently angry. All his body language said, I'm angry. Everything he's talked about uh, was his opinion of everything that was wrong with, uh, with politics. So, so the big difference was in Hillary, we got a sort of an ordinary political friendly face who tried to say reasonable things. And uh, in Trump, we got this unreasonable angry person. And, and that felt real uh, to enough of the, of the, uh, yeah. of the voters that he won. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's very fascinating. I never thought of it that way, but it's obvious if enough of your customers, clients, your audience is angry enough, or they somehow identify themselves with the way how you express yourself, then it makes you trustworthy in a sense. Oh, that's, yeah. very, that's very special. I didn't think about it that way. Now, Thinking about the positive influence, so those leaders, uh, we work with team leaders, a lot of people managers. What would be the tips that you could share with, with our audience on how to inspire your team? So for example, imagine that you have a team meeting to come. This is the one hour full of inspiration where you are supposed to inspire your team. So 
how can we prepare for such meetings so that we really bring the right energy, the right words and the right attitude? The key is uh, to be open. Um, the, the first way that people connect with one another is they look to see if the other person is closed or open. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and that goes back to the question I mentioned before, the friend or foe question. That's the, that's the first question we ask of other people. And what happens is for most managers, when they're leading a meeting like that, they're, they don't intend to be closed, but they're perhaps nervous enough. Maybe they're giving a presentation um, or they've got lots of other things on their mind, the things they're worried about. And so they tend to have closed behavior. And it's not, it's not obviously hostile, like cross your arms kind of closed behavior. It's just little things like holding your hands in front of your torso, um, turning away slightly from people, uh, just little signs of closed behavior. And what that does is that suggests to the other people in the room, the audience, that this person isn't open to them. And so right from the start, we don't trust them. Uh, because for me to trust you, I need to feel like you're being open with me. Yes. And, and I need to, the next step then is I need to think I know what your intent is. I know how, your emotions. Um, I know when you're angry, when you're happy, and what, what you're excited about, what you disapprove of, and so on. So getting to know somebody is getting to see them under a variety of circumstances like that. But the first step is openness. Um, and so I would say to managers who are trying to connect with their, uh, uh, with their employees or their colleagues, the first step is to think about how can I establish a nice dialogue? Think of the body language as a, as a conversation you're having with the other people. How can I be open in a way that, uh, that will establish trust with them. That's that's the first step. Yeah, with trust being the key word. Mm. You know, so many people I experienced in my career, they focus on getting to a certain outcome mm -hmm. and thereby over overlooking the, the process of establishing trust, connecting as two human beings who are on the same team. Yeah. I just do believe there is often stress involved and targets and the pressure going on and that, that's very one more time like subconscious we don't really realize that yet again our whole body and body language and everything that we actually show on the uh, to the outside world does not correspond with the words yeah because we're in our head <laughs> we're thinking about everything we still need to do and in the meantime we have this posture that scares people off so I'm curious, how would you approach that situation that I think pretty much every listeners know, stressful period, yet again, team meeting or some kind of meeting. And I am the leader and I know I want to come across as energetic and being inspiring. And on another hand, I don't want to come across as that I don't understand them. Because if I come them jumping like, like a jumping ball, then they are not gonna really understand why am I like this, why they are being frustrated and exhausted. So what could be the tips in, in such cases? I always coach people in those kind of situations, whether they're giving a presentation or whether they're going into an important meeting like that. The first thing to do is uh, to try to get rid of the to-do list in your head, because that's what gets in the way. We walk in there with a to-do list that doesn't have 
everything to do with what's going on in the meeting. So we're thinking about where we've come from. We're thinking about our holiday coming up. We're thinking about what we're going to have for dinner. We're thinking about a host of things. And, and that shows up in our body language. That's mental distraction. And that's getting worse and worse, as we all know. We're all information overloaded. Uh, we're press under pressure to do things faster. Um, we have more and more email to and text messages and, and whatnot to uh, to deal with. And so that, that to-do list, to list is getting worse, not better. And so the first thing I coach people to do is to try to clear that to-do list from your head and focus on the meeting at hand. Um, and focus, first of all, just on what's going to happen in the meeting and, and, and try to be fully present, as we say. Um, but also try to focus your emotion. Ask yourself, how do you feel about this meeting coming up? Are you excited? Um, are you um, angry, trying to fix something that's wrong? Um, are you, uh, do you like your colleagues? Uh, is there something that needs to be repaired? What's going on there? And to walk in with that emotion um, uh, foremost in your mind. So focus, not only get rid of the to-do list, but also focus your emotions um, because that will give your body language clarity. Yes. And in fact, when we talk about charisma, that's what we're talking about. Charisma is emotional focus. Oh, um, I like that. We've all been, we've all been char charismatic at one time in our lives when we were children. Yeah. And we got very excited about something. Something great happened at school. We came running home to tell our parents. Um, and right away, the, the parents said, oh, little Johnny or little Susie, what happened today? Because they could see it. It was just written all over you. You could see the excitement. You know? That's charismatic because that child is effortlessly and easily focused. And as we get older, we lose that ability to focus it as easily because of the to-do list, because of all the things we have to worry about. Um, and so part of becoming more charismatic and, and actually showing up in a more convincing way in a meeting like that is, is kind of getting back to that childhood ability to focus. Yeah. You can relearn it as a grown-up. I love it. Charismatic people, they, they get away with anything. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just walk in the room, they smile, everybody loves them, they bring positivity, and you forgive them instantly for whatever wasn't according to your expectations. Yeah, now you know their secret, which is just they're focused on an emotion. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, easy to to uh to describe but it's hard to do it takes it takes practice because you you have to get back to that that uh wholeheartedness that you had as a child yeah and it makes me think back of a conversation i had with my former manager he was my manager for like eight years ago and he's one of the most positive people i ever met he would light up any room he steps in and he told me when i spoke to him he said, I don't know the emotion of being angry. I, I just, I've never experienced it. I cannot imagine anything by that. Mm -hmm. And of course he knows how angry people can be, but he says, I've, I've never felt that. Mm. Yeah, so he's one of those lucky ones that just seems to effortlessly be positive. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. And it, it makes me also think of uh, last week, we hold once a month um, a networking event where, where we really just help people to connect and walk away with one valuable connection. And uh, 
there one person asked me how how come did you remember the names of the participants and i said well up until last year it was a huge challenge for me because while i was already introducing myself i was already thinking about the next thing i'm going to say so that's the to-do list and thereby i've never heard what the other person said it was something like tom john mark it could have been whoever <laughs> we just not know so i said yeah the trick is just to be really present and repeat the name one more time but be present and don't be busy with yourself so i really love that you brought it up <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's something i had to train myself to do because um, we're self-conscious when we meet other people and we're thinking about what's the impression we're making on them and as soon as you start going away from that moment of listening to the other person say his or her name um, then you're, it's hopeless. You'll never remember them. Yes. What, what is the main pain point, the trigger, the thing that puts them into action to say, hey, I want to work with this. What is the point that people realize I need help to improve my communication? It's interesting. Sometimes with executives, they'll have an evaluation or a, a 360 degree eval, eval or, or mm -hmm. something like that. And the, the, the word will come back that their communication is flawed in some way or other. Um, and they'll get in touch with me, uh, but they're usually resentful um, because their attitude is, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't know why those other people think I can't communicate. Um, and, and so that I've learned with those people, that's not an easy, uh, easy coaching arrangement. The folks who, the folks who are, are uh, good to work with are the people who, realize how valuable good communications yeah. um, are and want to to get any edge they can to get better so it's the self-improvement people um, i got a call the other day or, or an email which led to a call from a, a ceo of a company in the u.s and he's already pretty good he rates himself a b plus do you have that uh, academic rating system he gives himself a b plus but he wants to be an A minus. He wants to be better okay. uh, because he thinks he can move his organization faster if he's a better communicator. Mm -hmm. and, and he knows what they're up against. He knows how they have to modernize and, and, and speed up their processes and so on. So he's, he's got some things he wants to accomplish and he just believes that he can do that better if, he, uh, if he's a good, uh, a better communicator. So th those are the people who, uh, um, so I don't know if you call that a, point of pain but those are the people yeah. who are, are best to work with yeah it's interesting it makes me think back of david allen who also said when we talked about getting things done who needs it the most or who requires such information the most and most of the time those people already work on themselves they are in that personal development area for quite some time they know that there can be yet another step to get more fulfilling happy life whatever you are seeking for so it's it seems that in your case it's pretty much uh, the same scenarios those people they know already that there is something that they can do better or faster whatever that helps them to move uh, with their career or life I can imagine that there's one uh, one other reason that triggers executive CEOs to, to work on their communication skills. And I'm talking about the M word, the millennial generation. <laughs> so the M word. besides using more emoticons, <laughs> what else can you do as a leader? To, to get this generation to move along with you, to, to be engaged and, and 
feel feel strongly about your vision? Well, there's a there's an old joke that if if uh, somebody's suspicious, you ask them to uh, uh, to jump, they'll say how high rather than jumping, right? They'll they'll question the process, and millennials, the the feeling goes, don't even just ask how high to jump. They're saying, well, why are we jumping at all? Let's question the whole the whole procedure. So, I think the first thing to work with with millennials is is to be ready to to authentically and, and deeply discuss that question of why. Why are we in the business that we in, uh, we're in? And why is what we're doing worthwhile and important? And how is it helping to make society better? And I think those are great questions to ask anyway. So if you don't know the answer to them, then you have no business leading, I think. Um, so uh, I think uh, that's, that's not just for millennials, but that's for, for everybody. Um, and it just happens that millennials seem to be at a place where they they particularly care about this. So I think that's great. Bring it on. I think we should all spend more time having that discussion. Yeah. So speaking about why, I think yeah, we even have uh, Simon Sinek's book uh, right here behind us. Start with why. Start with why. I saw that. Yeah. And does it also include more frequent communication or more personable communication channels? Um, I think there are a couple of dangers there and that's what I talk about in the book. Can you hear me is the, the virtual forms of communication make communication so easy um, that we tend to do more and more of it, uh, but it's not necessarily effective. Um, and one of the, one of the interesting bits of research I found was the further up you go in an organization, the more email you get and the more email you have to send out. And as a result, you send out shorter and shorter emails. Now that's just a natural human response to a longer to-do list. But the shorter your emails are, the more likely they're gonna be misunderstood. And, and so th there's a trap there in communications as we do more and more of it, as, as we yeah. get faster and faster at it, um, the more likely we are uh, to, uh, to screw it up. Um, and so uh, that at asking that question why and taking the time and, and uh, slowing down those communications are extremely important, I think. Right. So do I conclude correctly that it's better to communicate less frequently and when you do it, take enough time and space and depth to do it really well, as opposed to m much more frequent communication in shorter chunks, smaller chunks? Well, it's yes, it's hard to argue for less communication, but I would argue uh, for more authentic communication and and more thoughtful communication uh, rather than just uh, more for more, more's sake. Um, and and I think that's important not only for millennials, but for anybody in the workplace today. Now we, we expect authenticity. Yeah. And, and the, the issue, of course, is figuring out um, nobody wants to know everything about you. There's, mm -hmm. we, we say at a certain point, we say TMI, too much information. Uh, and so the leader doesn't need to bear all of his or her secrets and, and what's more he or she shouldn't because we don't want all that information. It, we just feel bogged down with it after a while. And so what you, the leader has to do is figure out what's the authentic story I can tell that that feels authentic, 
and mm -hmm. is just enough information that people are interested, but isn't too much. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not easy to figure out uh, because people have different levels of toleration and different levels of curiosity. And, and, and so you have to do something that works for you, but it has to have enough grit and authenticity to it that, that uh, people believe that you're getting, they're getting the real you. Mm -hmm. um, but understand it's, it's just another role that you play as a, as a leader, just, just as uh, you two are spouses. And so you have the relationship between the two of you and you behave in one way for that. And then you have your working relationship and you behave in another way for that. And I don't know, perhaps at some point you may be parents and, and, and then you'll have kids and you have to behave in a certain way for your kids. Uh, and so we all have to learn and, and, and you wouldn't tell your children everything about you. Um, your kids would be horrified, especially the older they get, the less they want to hear from you. So, uh, uh, it, um, so again, there's the issue of too much information, TMI. And, and, and that's something, it's finding the right balance there between authenticity and too much information that's the real challenge. That reminds me of the starting point we take in our How to Work Stress-Free course is where we emphasize the importance of empathy so something that helps me a lot with exactly this question is when I write a message to put myself in the shoes of the recipient and think about which question do I still have in my mind? What could I misinterpret or what could my next question be and thereby anticipate on what is coming? So now maybe I can cover uh, what would normally be three emails in one message just with some empathy, but it takes a bit of patience and time and, and mental space to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, uh, the, the key to good communication is understanding your audience and making the communication not just you pushing out information, but thinking about what does the audience need to know or need to receive or wish to receive. And empathy is, is uh, the most important thing there. So that's, that's absolutely the way to think about it. Start with, start with your audience not with you <laughs> figure it out from there you you mentioned a storytelling and you mentioned the word story and i know that yours will help people um to tell stories so are there any basic elements i know they are so what are according to the basic elements of a good story yeah my my biggest complaint with most people when they tell stories and this is especially true of business people uh, for a reason which will become obvious um, is that they don't actually tell stories they just tell anecdotes and anecdotes are like walking into the office and saying boy the the commute was terrible today I got delayed and that's that's a fact but it's not interesting very um, it's certainly not a story um, now what's a story well a story has conflict. So there has to be, first of all, somebody, an antagonist that I'm pushing against or fighting against or struggling with in some way. And then th that, that struggle, that conflict has to develop and then it has to be resolved in some way. Yeah. So I could make that story about the commute, that anecdote about the commute into a story by talking about some crazed other driver who had road rage and chased after me and I narrowly escaped with my life and here I am at the office and I'm looking over my shoulder because I'm afraid he might still be following me. I mean, that suddenly is a story, right? It sounds like a Stephen King horror movie or something, but uh, potentially. Uh, but uh, uh, so that's the beginning of a story, conflict. 
Um, and that's the, that's the most important thing. And, and I say the reason that's hard for business people um, is that most business people want to tell happy stories, anecdotes about their businesses. They don't want to talk about the struggles, the trials, the things that go wrong uh, for obvious reasons. They just want to present a, a happy face to the world. Everything's great here. We're selling lots of our products and services and everything's fine. We don't want to dwell on the negative. So that means it's hard to tell good stories in the business world. Yeah. Ah, so is there a way how to tell a positive story with a conflict? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, a good a good story has that has a happy ending is ends ends up in a positive place. But you have to be willing to take the listener uh, into into that area of conflict first, and even that is difficult. So um, we love stories with happy endings. The most common story is the quest story. Um, and probably 80% of the stories we tell are quest stories. In a quest story, you have a goal that you're trying to reach. Um, and, and so you go on that journey to try to reach that goal, whatever it is, to launch a new product or to make $100 million in sales or to grow as a business. There are all kinds of goals are possible to imagine. And, and we love quests that lead successfully to those goals. The, the, uh, the, 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 the counterintuitive thing, though, is we also love quests that are the, the, where the journey is difficult. Mm -hmm. The harder the journey, the more we struggle to get to that happy ending, the better we like the story, the more interesting we find the story. And, and so that's a, a lesson that's important for business people to get is if you're, if you're going to present a goal and, and take me on the journey to that goal, I want that journey to be difficult. I, I want uh, to see lots of obstacles along the way because then it's interesting to me. And then I'm curious about how did you do it, right? If it's too easy, I don't care. And, and so good storytelling is, is all about conflict, but it's also about throwing lots of obstacles in the way and then getting to that happy ending. And I love that you, you look at it not as, as a serious struggle. I think we had once that discussion with Alex and Alex is very positive. And when we, look at yeah what were the difficult moments in your life well the answer was like i didn't really have a difficult moments i just have pretty like nice life so you look at those conflicts more as the obstacles certain things that didn't go exactly how you wanted and then yeah there are always ways how you can deal with that issue challenge uh, in a positive or in a negative way you can take it as a problem or as something exciting that you have to solve yeah. like a puzzle yeah it's for a big part it is how you speak about it what is a, a difficult problem for one person can be a fun, uh, fun challenge or puzzle for another person. Yeah. That's right. We all have different levels of, uh, of uh, trial and tribulation that we're willing to put up with or that we find exciting. Some people are overwhelmed by little problems and other people seem to have enormous amounts of reserve of, of courage and ability to deal with them. That's right. I was well curious about speakers because I know that you help speakers or people who want to become speakers to be really the top speakers. Um, and I always wondered, like I have a certain idea of what it is, but what is the difference between that speaker that is very engaging and really gets you like move and take action and the other one who can speak for hours it just after like a split of a second you know it's gonna be nothing like i'm gonna be bored so what what, what is the like what is the main difference something that most people don't know about but you know it i think the main difference is something that i tell 
speakers that I work with at a certain point after I've been working with them for a while, I'll say, okay, so now you've gotten pretty good and, and we've got a good story that you're telling and your body language is great. And the two of those things are working together. You're doing lots of things right. Now what you need to understand is that we call it giving a speech as you're giving it to the audience. Once you're up there on the, on the stage and you've done all your work and, and you've done all your preparation, then you need to think about it as not your speech anymore. It's not about you, it's about the audience. And so your job, and this sounds funny to people when they first hear it, it sounds odd. I'll say your job is to listen to that audience. So mm -hmm. say what you're gonna say, but spend most of the, or much more of your time than you think of yourself doing now, listening to that audience, see how they're reacting, see if they're getting your message. Because in the end, a speech is successful if the audience, as you said, acts on it or, or gets it. It's not successful if you've just talked for a long time and the audience walks out not unchanged. Um, and so what we're looking for is to change, change the world with speaking. Um, and that's that's the great opportunity. You've got this beautiful audience in front of you. It's a chance to to uh, uh, to move them in some way, teach them something, change them. Um, and to do that, you have to listen to them. You have to make it about them. And so that's why I stress that um, the real secret to to being successful as a speaker is giving the speech, not holding on to it. It's not yours anymore. Give it to the audience. Let them do what they want with it. I, I love that quote that the only real purpose of a speech is to change the world. What is the change that you are looking to make? Well, I made the uh, terrible mistake of getting interested in communications um, and I have been all my life. And so um, the, the best I can hope for is uh, to get people um, to to slow down and think about their communications and and be able to communicate with intent. That's that's really my cause, mm -hmm. is that I want you to be able to show up and communicate in a way that afterwards you say, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. I showed up, I did what I wanted to do. There, there, there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of body language chatter that got in the way. I didn't screw up my message. I, I communicated with intent, the intent that I held that I that, that I went to all the reason uh, to give the speech for that I got across. So for me, communicating with intent and succeeding at that is what it's all about. I love that. I love that. And and, and when you, once you know how to do this, that's where you can inspire people. And I found that it's only inspiration that helps people to change. That's where you break through those barriers of the ego of I already know exactly what to do when. You speak to some kind of higher self that everybody has. That is flame burning deep inside somewhere. Once you can go straight and hit that flame, that's when magic happens. Yeah, people hang on to their status quo. They like their status quo. They don't. They don't want to be changed unless unless you give them a good reason to do so. So I agree. It's it's uh, that's the challenge, is to is to point to them point to a better place or a better direction or uh, something that's more exciting, get them, get them moving because otherwise they're just going to walk out at the end. Like, uh, like you said earlier, just thinking, <laughs> well, that was okay, but nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then everybody's time has been wasted. Do you like a small challenge? 
And the reason I'm asking is, <laughs> would you like to participate in a small experiment? This is a new, let's say, section in our podcast interviews that we came up uh, today during lunch. And, and we thought it's great because we have here a communication expert. So there is no better moment or time than now to, um, to give it a real try. It's very simple and you probably have seen the concept somewhere else. Um, we'd like to try the rapid fire questions with you, where we give you one or two words and we ask you to respond with one simple word, maximum, or, or a term. Okay. Are you up for it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's do that. Let's do it. Nick Morgan, rapid fire question around. Ooh. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Leader. I'm sorry, I coughed. <laughs> that's that's first time. It's okay. I I counted one point. <laughs> Leader. Leader. Uh, authenticity. Successful marriage. Communication. Purpose of life. Um, to change the world in a good way. Oh, uh, fun. Fun. Play. Freedom. No to-do list. <laughs> Bucket list. China. Oh, relationships. Honesty. Influence. Charisma. Peace of mind. Meditation. Spare time. None. <laughs> okay, I didn't expect that. Communication. Intent. Relaxation. Meditation. <laughs> Contribution. Hmm. Um, purpose. Sport. Sorry? Sport. Sport. Uh, uh, football. <laughs> American football, I assume, not European football. Uh, actually, I was thinking European football. I was, I was oh. giving you your football, but <laughs> awesome. we just we just finished football for American football for the year here. So, <laughs> and and my team won. Let me just say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have a few more. Yeah. Dream. Dream. Um, childhood. Crazy. <laughs> Life. <laughs> <laughs> Best personal development book. Huh. Um, wow, that's a tough one. There's so many. Um, uh, Freud. Wow. Yeah, just go back a ways there. I like it. We don't have that one in our collection. Uh, no, you don't. So we may not, there. We may the interpretation of dreams. Get it on your on your uh, <laughs> on your list. <laughs> on your list. On your uh, 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 on your cupboard there. Yeah. <laughs> Last one. Your favorite movie. That's easy. Casablanca. Oh, oh nice. There's also one to still add to the list. Yes. I've heard that name so much. People mention it, and I have not seen it yet. So many great lines. 
and you probably know most of the dialogue from it because you've heard you've heard the lines. You go, oh, I know that. Well, this is just a collection of cliches, but <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the movie. Can I and uh, can I normally watch it online, or do I need to get a black and white television for it? <laughs> I think Netflix will do fine. Do you have Netflix? Is that is that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mr. Nick Morgan, thank you so much. Now, before we close off, is there a final message that you would like to pass on to our audience, to all the listeners? Yes, I think most of us struggle with fear. Uh, we we fear to communicate. We uh, we don't value ourselves enough, um, and and we and therefore we don't take the time to express our intent. Um, and so, a huge amount of becoming a successful communicator is just letting go of the fear. And it's easier said than done, but I would say that should be everybody's goal: is don't be afraid to uh, to to try to communicate to to uh, be authentic. I love it, and. What I found is when there's no more fear, there's there's love and joy and all these positive emotions. So yeah, exactly. there, there, there's a whole other experience waiting on the other side. Yeah, yeah, for all of us. Thank you so much, Nick. For all the listeners, one more time, when they can find all of your coaching um, coaching packages or the ways how you could, they can simply interact with you or get in contact with you. Yep, the website publicwords.com. It's all there along with tons and tons of free information. I've been blogging since 2007. So there's this vast repository of uh, of free information there. Beautiful. Publicwords.com. And uh, are you active on social media? Yes. uh, At Dr. Nick Morgan on Twitter and and, uh, the same on LinkedIn. I join, I uh, love to connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, Facebook, I'm using not as much these days. I'm trying to limit my Facebook time. <laughs> Good for your mental health. Apparently, the more time you spend on Facebook, the more depressed you're likely to be. So, <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't surprise me that much. Either way, I'm 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 sure that this was one hour of power and inspiration with Doctor. Dr. Nick Morgan and uh, I want to just thank you from every single corner of my heart it was it was amazing and I really really enjoyed our conversation thank you so much thank you so much it was great fun to chat with you both good to hear that thanks a lot so how many pages did you manage to fill in by all of this super great information Yet again, amazing person. I had so much fun and Nick is so friendly and I'm sure that like the people he works with, I'm more than convinced that that value and the transformation they are going through, wow, it's, it's just like, I can't hardly imagine that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I remember being a team leader when I first got promoted, simply because I was good as a specialist doing my job. Now I was leading a team of people and one of the first pieces of feedback I got is Alexander, you're great as a team leader, we're happy with you because you solve all of our problems. But please also think about the personal side of things. And it was that moment that I realized how important communication is. 
how important it is to express yourself, build this trust, get people by your side, work together as one team on one mission. It's all about communication. And of course, you heard Dr. Nick Morgan, the one big pitfall we all have is that we walk around with a to-do list in our mind. And then we are not present in the current situation. We may be frowning at somebody, not because we want to frown at them, but because we're thinking about everything we still need to remember. And that's why it's so important to be stress-free. That's why it's so important to have a system to store all that information you want to remember outside of your head. That is what we specialize in with Earn More Workless. We help leaders and teams be stress-free, have more structure, organize better, prioritize easier, all of that. So when you see in your team red flags, stress, other challenges, delayed projects, over work overload, information overload, make sure you check out earnmoreworkless.com or go straight to our blog at earnmoreworkless.com slash blog. You're gonna find tons of tips, things you can apply immediately. And of course, if you like us to come over and talk about it face to face, get in touch and we'll get it done. To check out more of Nick Morgan's work, go to his website publicwords.com. You heard him, his blog is full of valuable information. Follow him on Twitter at Dr. Nick Morgan. And he uses the same name on LinkedIn, Dr. Nick Morgan. That's it for now. I wish you a fun and successful day. Let's all go out, inspire each other and make it a wonderful day.